Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Oh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. Good to see you all here. Now, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and it's been four weeks now since I've preached And so I'll just give a little bit of a recap of where we're up to. Up until this point, it's been like Jesus' disciples have been following him, but they didn't really know who he was. Um, And it can be a little bit like that in the church today. Uh, There may even be some folk here today um, who feel drawn to Jesus and feel attracted to Jesus and and to his teachings and might even think, yeah, I actually really like being amongst these Christian folk. There's got to be something in this. But it it hasn't, you haven't fully grasped the mind-blowing significance of who Jesus is and and what that means because that's a life changer. It truly is. But Jesus keeps doing all of these miracles. He's been healing the sick. He's been raising the dead. He's been casting out demons and... And the disciples have been witnessing all of this and and everything that Jesus has been doing has been revealing more and more of his power and his authority. And let's face it, Jesus has been doing the sorts of stuff that only God can do. And the point that we're at now, Jesus has just asked his disciples who they reckon that he is. And Peter said, you're the Christ of God. So it's good that Peter's come to that realisation But I wonder what Peter meant by that. You see, the the understanding in the day is the Christ of God was the Messiah. And and the Messiah is the chosen one, the anointed one of God to be king. And so they were looking for for this man that God was going to anoint to be this mighty king after the vein of, of King David in the past. And so Peter's getting close but they still don't fully understand that the significance of what it means for Jesus to be the Christ of God. He may be the Christ, but they haven't grasped the significance of what that means. For starters, you'd assume that if Jesus is the chosen one of God, 
And woohoo, good times for Jesus. And hey, what? Guess what? We're on team Jesus. Woohoo, good times for us. He's the chosen one of God. But Jesus sort of didn't sort of let that vein of thinking stand. He put a bit of a dampener on things when, when he said, you know what? The Son of Man's going to have to suffer many things and be rejected and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then he puts even more of a dampener on it and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But then he said something interesting. He said, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Right? So, so these disciples have been following Jesus, but now Jesus is talking about them being willing to lose their lives for following Jesus. Why would they do that? I mean, why, why would we do that? Why would we remain faithful to Jesus even if we were killed for doing it. If Jesus was only a man, even if he was a man that was chosen by God, if Jesus was only a man, why would they do that? And in Luke, it's at the transfiguration of Jesus that the glory of Jesus is revealed. And it's here at the transfiguration where God speaks and God says, this is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. And a penny drops. Ah, oh, Jesus is more than just a man. So it all unfolded like this. It was about eight days after Jesus confessed, you're the Christ. And Jesus took three of them, Peter, James and John, up on the mountain to pray. And there they caught a little glimpse of the glory of the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about. Jesus had said, there's some here who, who aren't going to die until they see the kingdom of God. And there, only eight days later, three of them caught a little glimpse of this glory of the kingdom of God. Right, so they're up on the mountain, they're praying. Now, what's your experience of prayer? Does, does anyone here... Sort of like when you set aside some significant time for prayer and you, you go and you settle yourself down and you start praying and then sort of find yourself having a little bit of a kip. Does, does anyone sort of find themselves having a little bit of a snooze? Oh, that, there is more than just me. Whew. Whenever I ask a question like that, I'm always wondering, is, is the pastor the most godless person here? Um, whew, I'm thankful that I'm not. Oh, well, I may still be, but... But um, you feel a bit guilty, don't you? You're like, I I I'm here, I'm supposed to be praying, and here I am having a little snooze. Well, be aware that, that you are, are in good company, 
uh, because that happened to the disciples a few times. They're supposed to be there praying um, and they fall asleep. And while they're having their little kip, that's when the exciting stuff happened. Jesus was transfigured. We're told that the appearance of his face was altered. The Greek word there is heteros, which means different. Jesus looked different. And his clothes became dazzling white. Now, if you're as old as I am, you remember when they used to put ads on the TV and, oh, look how clean this shirt gets. And, and look, we're going to put it under this special blue light. To Wow, look at... I don't know if it was the Omo or the Fab. Does anyone remember? Uh, just this bright white shirt and all the housewives go, oh, if only my washing could be so white. It'd be just... They don't do ads like that anymore, do they? I, I haven't noticed them. Well, I'm pretty sure Jesus' clothes were a fair bit whiter than that. Bright white. And, and Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and they spoke to Jesus of his departure, which he is about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And what's that about? What's the departure of Jesus that he is about to accomplish in Jerusalem? Is it talking about his death on the cross? Is it talking about when he ascended into heaven? Well, I think it's probably both those things, but only because it's more than that. And we'll, we'll, we'll come to it shortly. Stick with me and we'll get, get there. First, I want to ask why the two prophets, Moses and Elijah, why did those two prophets turn up? Here they are, they're, they're both there and they're both alive. Now, we, we know that Moses died, but nobody could ever go and put flowers on his grave because nobody knows where Moses was buried. God buried Moses. But with Elijah, it's, it's a different story. Elijah didn't die. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind to God. And yet here, they both are in glory. One of them has died, the other has not, and they're both here in glory. Now, that's a bit of a lesson for us. This is something that we can learn. When the time comes for the resurrection, it doesn't matter whether we've died or whether we're still alive when Jesus returns. We're not going to miss out. And if you have died, it doesn't matter if you're buried. It doesn't matter if you're cremated. It doesn't matter if you're torn apart and eaten by dogs and pooed out over the, over the countryside. It doesn't matter. You will be raised. Those who have died, like Moses had died, will be raised back to life again. Those who are still alive when Jesus returns, just like Elijah was snatched up into heaven in a whirlwind, so will those who are still alive will be taken up and meet with Jesus and we all together will be changed, will be transformed, we will be glorified. We catch a little glimpse of this at the Transfiguration. But why these two in particular? Why Moses? Why Elijah? Well, I want to take you to Malachi chapter 4. We're told in Malachi chapter 4 about the coming judgment of God. And I want you to see that as a good thing. You know, some folk, when they start thinking about the judgment of God, they think, oh, what a horrible, horrible thing judgment is. No. Christians love the concept of the judgment of God. At the end of Revelation, it, it's when the judgment of God takes place that the, all of the saints sing, Alleluia. Alleluia. What is it about judgment? 
Some folk think that judgment's terrible, but, but we all cry out for justice, don't we? So often when we see evil happening in the world and we see those who are evil getting away with all of the evil things that, we, that they've done, and we cry out, why won't somebody do something about it? Where's the justice in the world? And so let's give thanks to God that there is going to be a day when the evil are held to account. But Malachi also warns us that if we don't remember the law of God's servant Moses, then we're going to get caught up in that destruction. You see, when we are looking at think and thinking about judgment, we're thinking about, yeah, God, get those evil people. And we forget that we are the evil people. We have done evil, which deserves judgment. And so in Malachi, we are promised that the judgment of God is coming, but we're also promised that before the day of judgment, Elijah the prophet was going to come and turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Talking about a great um, reconciliation. Talking about a great conviction of sin and we turn from our sin. John the Baptist is the one who took on the role of Elijah the prophet. And he came and he preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And after John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus himself took up that same message. Jesus himself taught, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's the message that he gave his disciples to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's the message that we proclaim today. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. All right, so that's the significance of, of Elijah. A message of repentance to prepare for the coming day of judgment. But what's the significance of Moses? Here's a little hint. Moses and Elijah spoke to Jesus of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, does it give you a little hint as to what he is talking about if I tell you what the Greek word for departure there is? Exodus. Moses led the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, and that is the Exodus. And now Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about his exodus, talking to Jesus about the exodus that he is about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he stood up in the synagogue and he told us that he came to bring liberty to the captives. He read from, from the scroll of Isaiah chapter 61 and he turned to the spot where it said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus' exodus is to bring liberty to set us free from captivity to sin 
and to set us free from death. And of course, Jesus accomplished this through the cross and through his resurrection. And Peter, unwittingly, he also sets before us this theme of the Exodus. When they woke up, they were all bleary-eyed, but I'm pretty sure that with the glory of Jesus and those two um, prophets there, they probably jolted awake pretty quick when it happened, and they saw the glory of Jesus, and they saw the glory of Moses and Elijah there with him. And, and, and as Moses and Elijah were about to go, they, they, they didn't want them to go away. That they wanted this experience of glory to continue and to go on and on and on. And, and Peter blurts out, Master, Master, it's really good that we're here. Let, let, let's make three tents for you. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Uh, but, but Luke also notes down here that Peter didn't really know what he was saying. Right? What, what, what was going on here? I mean, most times when I've heard this preached on, people are really just presented as, you know, it's a silly hope that they could just extend the visit. Oh, no, no, don't go, don't go. Let's go camping. I've got marshmallows. Just stay. We'll, we'll, we'll make some. We'll have a good time. Just stay. Or was it more than that? Once again, when we look back to how the words are used elsewhere, so the Greek word for tense is skinus which means nothing to me, or you probably. But in other places, that exact same word is translated as tabernacles or booths. Now, this is a little bit of a test of how well we know our Bibles. Have you ever heard of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths? Right? Does anyone here like camping? I know some of you do. Does anyone here like camping? Most of us, definitely not Melissa. Melissa does not like camping. And Trent, I think, I didn't see a hand go up. Oh, it did go up, it did go up. I was sort of thinking you probably have enough time in the sleeper cab of the truck. Righto, so most of us like camping. I love camping, I love it. It's a chance to get out in the bush and we live a little bit simpler and, and then when you get home, you're a bit thankful for things that you do have that you just take for granted. Well, once a year, all of Israel would go camping for a week. They'd leave their homes and they'd build themselves a little tent or a little booth or a little tabernacle. Think of a gunya. Right? They'd make it out of, out of branches. They'd, they'd build a little shelter out of branches and whatnot. And that was their tabernacle. That was their booth. That was their tent. And it was a reminder for them of the exodus. That was the whole purpose for it. It was a reminder for them they would go and live in these tents for a week just to remind them that this is a reminder for us that we were led out of captivity in Egypt. And so the parents would be there and the kids would say to the parents, oh, this camping's fun. Why, we, why don't we do it all the time? And the parents would be saying, well, we're only doing it now because we're remembering. We're remembering that God set us free from captivity. It's a reminder of the exodus as Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt and toward the promised land. Now, Peter didn't know what he was saying, but can you see the significance of what he said? Let's, let's build booths. The tents are a reminder of the exodus where God sets the captives free. 
Jesus is about to complete his exodus. That's what Moses and Elijah have been talking to Jesus about. But Jesus and the exodus of Jesus is so much greater than Moses. At Mount Sinai, God spoke to Moses and, and Moses then acted as the intermediary between God and the people. But here, a cloud enveloped them and God spoke out of the cloud and he says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. We don't need an intermediary like Moses. We listen to Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God's chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now, we're at a crucial point in the Gospel of Luke. The disciples have been following Jesus, not really knowing who he is. But now they've seen his glory. They've met with Moses and Elijah, and it's been confirmed now with the very voice of God coming out of this cloud. Not only is Jesus the Messiah, as if a mere man could be Messiah, God himself has said, this is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. Now that's a game changer. That's a game changer. Have you ever wondered why? Now, if, if you've been a Christian for a while, or even if you're not a Christian, but you've been going to church for a while, have you ever noticed that, and it's hard for me to say, say this without sounding a bit elitist or whatever, but have you ever noticed there's sort of two versions of Christians around the place? Have you ever noticed that for some, this Christianity thing is something that they just tack on to their lives? Add a bit of God to my life. Add a bit of Jesus to my life. We might get a few blessings out of it, maybe. But apart from that, in their life, in many ways, it's just the same as most other people in the world. But then there's those other people. Back in the day, they used to call them those born-again Christians. Oh, those born-again Christians, they're a bit strange, aren't they? You know what? There's no such thing as a Christian who hasn't been born again. You're either born again or you're not a Christian. But that term used to be used because... They were describing people who always speak the name of Jesus. The, the, the people who want to talk about Jesus much more than they want to talk about their chosen footy, footy grand final. And their whole life reflects Jesus. Their lives are transformed. They are people who love. They are generous. They love God's word. They delight in Jesus. They're obedient to Jesus. And their faith, it costs them. They sacrifice for Jesus. They live sacrificially. They give sacrificially. They worship sacrificially. Nothing else gets precedence in their life because for them, Jesus is their everything. Jesus is number one all the time and he never is not number one. Have you noticed those two different types of people? Let me tell you, when we truly understand who Jesus is. That's a game changer. That's a life changer. 
if Jesus truly is the Son of God, and he is, and if Jesus truly is the chosen one of God, and he is, then he is the one that we listen to in all matters. He's the one that we follow. He's the one who we are never ashamed of. He's the one who we would take up our cross daily, every day, being prepared to die for Jesus rather than deny him. He's the one that we would follow like this. We're not ashamed of Jesus. We've caught a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. It was amplified when, when he was risen from the dead. And if we're not ashamed of Jesus, he won't be ashamed of us. When he comes in his glory, and when he comes with the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, he won't be ashamed of us. Who is Jesus to you? And does your life reflect who Jesus is? I guess what I'm asking is, is Jesus and is faith in Jesus something that's tacked on to your life, just a little added extra that you think ticks the box of being a Christian? Or is he your everything? Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Is he the one who is the one stable part of your life at all times. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you. You indeed are the Son of God. You are the chosen one of God. You are the God of all glory. Forgive us for when we have not listened to you. Forgive us for when we have not left everything to follow you and forgive us for not loving you sacrificially, for not being wholehearted. Oh Lord, we turn to you. Make your glory known to us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Renew the fire in our bellies, the, the passion that we have for you. For some of us, we commit ourselves to you for the very first time ever. For others of us, we recommit ourselves to you. May the glory of Jesus shine through in our lives, in our love for you, in our worship of you, in our obedience to you and your word. In every way, may you be glorified in us. And Lord, we pray that, that you would be glorified in this church as we gather together in the name of Jesus delighting together in you and delighting in the company and the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in Christ. May this bring glory to you in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.